I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Helio Fred Garcia, author and leadership communication professor. His, new, his book uh, is Words on Fire, The Power of Incendiary Language and How to Confront It. Communication has the potential to do great harm, yet civic leaders and engaged citizens can hold leaders accountable to prevent such harm. Helio Fred Garcia focuses on the language President Trump uses that conditions an audience to accept, condone, and commit violence against a targeted group, rival, or critic. He includes a history of such rhetoric and identifies a playbook of 12 forms of communication that typically precede acts of mass violence up to and including genocide. The Nazis used all 12. The Rwandan Hutu used 10. Trump uses all 12. Uh, Helio Fred Garcia is on the adjunct faculties of NYU, New York University, and Columbia University, and his prior book, The Power of Communication, Skills to Build Trust, Inspire Loyalty, and Lead Effectively, was named the United States Marine Corps Commandant Professional Reading List for five consecutive years. Um, very impressive resume. Welcome to the show, Helio Fred Garcia. Thank you, Catherine. Delighted to be here. Okay. So this is kind of scary stuff. I mean, I'm assuming that you wrote the book since it's just published before all of the what we've just witnessed, all this, the protests, et cetera. Um, so where do we start? The, uh, start with a history of this kind of rhetoric. What is it? Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, there's a playbook of 12 forms of communication that typically precede acts of mass violence. And you're saying that <laughs> that Donald Trump uses well, well, these 12 forms of communication? He, 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 he actually does. And, and what I do in my teaching in my research and in my work with clients is study patterns of influence and patterns of persuasion and how language causes effects. Most of the work I do is helping leaders become better leaders by being better able to affect their audience in positive ways. But communication also has the power to affect audiences in negative ways. And as I studied the pattern of language that precedes acts of violence, I noticed that the individual forms of communication that I document in the book have historically preceded acts of violence up to and including genocide. But they also precede acts of terrorism. They also precede hate crimes. And the first in the playbook is to dehumanize an audience. And we saw, for example, uh, President Trump, as candidate Trump, dehumanize those who were attempting to migrate to the United States seeking asylum. He called them animals. He said that their presence with us is an infestation. He even had his rallies chanting animals, animals, animals. Well, what happens when a population dehumanizes some segment of the population, and that is the capacity for empathy lowers, and things that would previously have been unacceptable become the new normal. So, for example, you put animals in cages. You separate the children of animals from their parents. And we saw in the first years of the president's term 
the dehumanization of those who are attempting to enter the United States and the removal of children from parents without any mechanism to return those children to their parents. And we even saw instances where the parents were deported and the kids were kept here. That is a tangible consequence of dehumanization. Another tangible consequence of dehumanization is people feel empowered to take action in their own hands. And one of the things I document in the book is as the president was dehumanizing whole groups, hate crimes against members of those groups surged. And the FBI and the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League all track the surge in hate crimes. And you can do a direct correlation between the president ratcheting up the dehumanization and hate crimes against members of that group surging. Dehumanization is just one of the 12 forms of language. Another is demonization, saying that someone is evil, that they are the Antichrist, that they are evil incarnate. The president uses the language of evil when he talks about critics, when he talks about immigrants, when he talks about Muslims, when he talks about Mexicans. And I documented the historic pattern. I documented the phenomenon of people being inspired and motivated to act on the dehumanization and demonization. And then I documented that candidate Trump and then President Trump, because he was allowed to get away with it early, ratcheted up his language and the intensity of that language increased. And where I began to be really concerned is in October of 2018, just before the midterms. The president in his rallies in early October used some form of the words animals, evil, invader, invasion, about five times per rally. By the middle of October, he was doing it 30 times per rally. And people were chanting those words. And it was in the immediate aftermath of the words invasion and animals and evil that we saw the attack on the Tree of Life synagogue that killed 11 people. And the shooter in the synagogue posted on social media in the days before the language Trump was using in the rallies and in the morning of the shooting, posted that language again and then went in and shot 11 people. That's what prompted me to write the book. I started writing the book the day after the Tree of Life shooting. So I'm assuming that you obvious uh, that, that you are not the only one who is aware of or who can identify these 12 forms of communication. So my question is, why or how has this continued or why as a a country or as a culture have we allowed this kind of behavior to continue? How does he get the support for that? Um, Let's talk about Congress, the Senate, some of these Republican senators. Sure. Um, Yeah. One of the things I document in the book is that I say President Trump is not the cause of the problems we're experiencing. He's a consequence of the problems. And I track three parallel trends over the last 30 years. The first is a change in television news from a public service orientation to more of an entertainment and spectacle orientation, where fighting and conflict are what attract eyeballs and attract attention. And, and, As that became more and more the norm, then private citizen Trump found ways to use the language of conflict and dehumanization to get attention. The second trend is starting about 25 years ago 
is the depolarization in the political system where compromise is seen as weakness and demonizing your opponent is seen to be the appropriate path. Those two trends fed on each other over the last 25 or so years to to the point that in recent television news, we see the spectacle of conflict without the attempt to resolve it. We're just beginning to see in the last few weeks the recognition of how dangerous some of that language is. And I think we have a turning point in our civic life when the president called on mobilizing the active duty military and the secretary of defense talked about American cities as battle space to be dominated by the military. And that was a move too far. And that finally provoked retired secretary of defense, James Mattis, four-star Marine, to break his self-imposed silence and to publicly criticize the president and say, what you're doing is dangerous. It is unconstitutional. And he said, in all of my time in the cabinet, I never once heard the president use language to unite. I only heard him use language to divide. What we need is more of that. I think in General Mattis, we have a model on how to confront this kind of phenomenon. And when General Mattis said it, within days, other three and four star generals and admirals came out and added their voice to that. Secretary Esper stepped back and said, no, I was mistaken. We should not use the military domestically. That was a turning point. It takes that excessive consequence to finally wake people up. But we've seen the pattern. We saw the pattern from when uh, private citizen Trump tried to restore the birther narrative about President Obama, saying that he was secretly Muslim and secretly from Kenya. He did that for five years. He got away with it. He launched his campaign saying that Mexico sends rapists and drug dealers into the United States to destabilize the United States. Now, that's abject nonsense, but he said it. And the news media didn't say, no, they don't. The news media just gave him the microphone, gave him the megaphone. And that led to the further escalation. That led to his call for a total and complete ban of Muslims entering the United States. And he said that He said falsely that 25% of Muslims living in the United States want jihad against the United States. People hear that. They act on it. The news media simply gives them the megaphone, or they did then. Now they are beginning to push back. What we need is informed citizens, civic leaders, people with a megaphone like yourself, professors like me, clergy, political leaders, heads of NGOs to sound the alarm and say, no, this is unacceptable. We need to follow the lead of General Mattis to say there's a line beyond which we should not cross. And now we need to set that line further back than it is now. Do you think, and I, yes, when General Mattis spoke out, I was, you know, I I have to say that was so impressive. And so many people listened to him who otherwise wouldn't listen to anyone else or wouldn't even hear, or even if they listened, they wouldn't hear it. But when it comes from him, they hear it. Uh, but so where do we go? I mean, we don't want to go backwards again. I guess it's sort of like, how do we continue to go forward? Um, as you say, this is sort of a, a, a sort of a, a benchmark. I don't know what you would call it, but let's go so forward. Yeah. One of the reasons I wrote the book is to show the pattern and to create the playbook and to say, this is what we need to be on the lookout for. These forms of language have been documented since before me. They've been documented individually for decades. These forms of language 
create the social conditions that cause people to tolerate, condone, support, and commit acts of violence. And the first step is to see it and to name it. The second step is to call on the person speaking that way to account for the consequences of that language. I do in the book profile three leaders who went too far, two of them inadvertently, one of them intentionally, but when they were called on it, when they were told that's too far, they, in their own time, several immediately, several over years, pulled back and tried to remedy it. So, for example... Right, let's talk about those three leaders. McCain, those are good examples. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So, so let's start with 9-11. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, there were acts of violence committed against people perceived to be either Muslim or Arab. And that included... Uh, shooting uh, and beating and destruction of property, not only of Muslims, but of Sikhs, which are not Muslim, uh, but, but people who wore turbans were suddenly in danger. President Bush, four days after 9-11, uh, was getting on Marine One, and he said something that was inadvertent. He was str- struggling for words, and he said, the evil that we've witnessed is a serious evil, and we need to address it. And this crusade that we are on is an important way to address it. Now, he meant the word crusade as metaphor, as righteous struggle. But the crusades were a holy war between Christians and Muslims. And as soon as he said crusade, the world community, including British Prime Minister Tony Blair, said, oh, wait a minute, that's going to cause a lot of problems. And he and other leaders confronted President Bush, uh, and President Bush said, you're right, I didn't intend that, I'm sorry. He immediately went to the Washington Islamic Center, and surrounded by Muslim clerics in their Muslim cleric garb, said Islam is a religion of peace. The people behind me and I are completely united in getting to the bottom of what happened at 9-11, but it was not done by a religion, it was done by terrorists. He then met with a Prime Minister of Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world, and said, Madam Prime Minister, you and I both know that Islam is a religion of peace. He then addressed a joint session of Congress, and he said the same thing. That's what responsible leaders do when they go too far, and they're called on it. Similarly, when John McCain was running against Senator Barack Obama, his running mate Sarah Palin began a meme that said that Uh, Obama likes to pal around with terrorists. That became an ad for the campaign. And the ad for the campaign was Obama launched his campaign in a terrorist living room. That was picked up and the rallies began to chant, Obama is a terrorist, Obama is a terrorist, and people yelled out, kill Obama, kill Obama. The Secret Service had to investigate. The senator was shocked by that. One of his closest friends, Congressman John Lewis, who is a hero of Senator, of Senator McCain, held a press conference and said, Senator, you're my friend, but what you're doing is playing with fire. It sounds like George Wallace. This is dangerous and you need to stop. Colin Powell, the former chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and former Secretary of State, who had promised to remain neutral in the campaign, just like General Mattis last week, said that's too much, and he went on Meet the Press and said, Senator McCain, you have to stop that. I'm endorsing Obama, not because I, I want to endorse Obama, because I cannot support Senator McCain. Senator McCain stopped. 
That's what responsible leaders do. We have seen this before, but what we see in President Trump is more of it and indifference to the consequence. He's been called on it time and time again by people in prominent positions. It wasn't until General Mattis said you can't do that that he decided not to use the active duty military. But we need to do more of it, and we need to do it when we first see the language. And when we see it and we confront it, well-intended leaders who inadvertently went too far will pull back and will try to remedy it. That's what we need, and we have models for it. And we have to recognize, as you say, we have to recognize the language. We, the general public, have to be able to do that, which is what you obviously are pointing out in your book. So let's go on with some of that language, that communication. That's fascinating. And it is something that, of course, we're not going to get through all of it in this half hour, but the people need to no. go out and yeah, and get your book. and uh, Because it has to be sort of right there. You know, you have to have spontaneous response to all of this. You have to, it have to, you have to understand. Sometimes we don't, we hear it, but it doesn't really sink in and we just accept it and we go on. So as you say, we yeah. have to... Yeah, go ahead. We, we need to know how to recognize it. So the first thing is dehumanize it. Saying that people are animals, that they're vermin, that they're parasites, that their presence among us is an infestation. If we hear that language, alarm bells should go off. The second is to demonize. To say that a, a rival or critic or a group is evil, is the antichrist, is Satan, is the devil. And The president and his supporters have used that kind of language against critics and against rivals and against groups. The third is to scapegoat, to blame a group for the problems here. So the president has blamed Mexicans and Latin Americans for uh, unemployment, for the opioid crisis, for the violent gang crime in the United States. The fourth is to say that A group is a public health threat carrying disease to infect the nation. The president did that with the caravan uh, that he said was invading the United States. There were people there with infectious diseases, with polio, with HIV. He even said smallpox. And he's been doing something during the COVID-19 pandemic where he continuously refers to COVID-19 as the China virus or the Chinese virus. And the World Health Organization warns that we should not name a disease for a nation because of the stigma. But as the president continued to say China virus, Chinese virus, people began to commit hate crimes against people perceived to be Asian or Asian American. So, for example, a nine-year-old boy in Texas was stabbed in the face in a retail store uh, and needed nine stitches. His father came to his aid and he in turn was stabbed in the face and got a dozen stitches The woman who did the stabbing was arrested and said, I'm protecting the nation from the China virus. These people are infectious. Now, that boy was from Myanmar, not from China, but he looked Asian and he was the target of the attack. That's the fourth form of language that is saying that some group constitutes a public health threat. The fifth is to say that the group is a threat to public safety in general, to public order. So the migrants seeking legal asylum in the United States, he said, was an invasion of violent people, and it required the military to stop them. He actually mobilized the military in response to what he called the invasion. 
What is significant to show that he was insincere is, number one, the military is not permitted under American law to do immigration enforcement. Second, the purported invasion was heading towards San Diego, but there were still 2,000 miles from San Diego. He mobilized the military to Colleen, Texas, which is 1,500 miles from San Diego. So it was purely a symbolic act, but he was saying that invasion is worthy of mobilizing the military. The sixth is to attribute a violent motive. They want to harm America. They want to hurt America. He actually says that about Nancy Pelosi. He actually says that about the congresswomen of color whom he told to go back to where they came from, even though they were born in the United States or were American citizens, all of them. The seventh is to severely exaggerate a risk. And he did that with what he called the caravan. He does that with what he calls for a total and complete ban of Muslims entering the United States. The eighth is to attribute a sinister identity. And one of the things that has been a white nationalist meme for years is using the name George Soros as a stand-in for an international Jewish financial conspiracy. And in the run-up to the midterms, he and others kept attributing the caravan to being funded by George Soros. And in a two-week period, just before the midterm, Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts reaching 300 million people had the words caravan and Soros in the same tweet or in the same Facebook post. That's an example of sinister identity and further of conspiracy, which is the ninth form of language. He says that the FBI was in a conspiracy to commit a coup against him. He says that Hillary Clinton was in a conspiracy with Russia to steal the election. He says that the intelligence community is in a conspiracy to bring him down in a coup. He called the Mueller report an attempted coup d'etat. The 10th is to discredit the information people might otherwise turn to. So he began by calling the news media fake news. He then called news reporters enemies of the people. He went even further and said that any disagreement with him is an act of treason. When, when the Mueller report came out, he called it a witch hunt. The discrediting of information is one of the plays in this playbook, and it's one of the things that precedes acts of violence historically. The 11th is to conflate the victims of violence with the perpetrators of violence. So he says, for example, that Syrian refugees are ISIS. Well, that's absurd. They are the victims of ISIS. He says that those trying to get asylum into the United States are MS-13, the gang. That's also nonsense. They are the victims of MS-13 trying to escape gang violence in their own countries. He also conflates his own identity with the state. So when his lawyer received a subpoena to turn over documents, he called that an attack on the nation in a very real sense. That conflation of his identity Elio, with Fred, the Garcia, nation. Garcia, yep. We have to. We yep. have one minute left. We're going to yep. have to wait for the twelfth okay. one or buy the book. Go online. Okay. It's fascinating. Thank Just, you. Yes, really, really interesting, uh, important writing. So um, you just quickly give us a website so that, that listeners can can uh, access. Sure. 
it's www.wordsonfire.net. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. www.wordsonfire.net. Helio Fred Garcia, Words on Fire, The Power of Incendiary Language and How to Confront It. Um, Great show. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 